Welcome to Upbringing, where Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers parents to grow up alongside their kids for sanity and social change. Through this podcast, speaking and coaching, we focus on our personal work as parents, the awareness, intention, and approach needed to raise amazing humans while we also get some shit done. Join us to radically redefine kids' resistance as an opportunity to nurture skills and values like consent, nonviolent communication, emotional intelligence, body positivity, and respect. We attempt this by practicing powers beyond control, evidence-based tools that protect our kids' personal freedoms, support their skill building, and better align with how we roll as people. To us, this is the practice of parenting, when we can choose trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection. We're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. Hey everyone, Hello. I'm Hannah, this is Kelty, we're Upbringing. We're here live to talk about sensitive kids tonight. We talk about the strong-willed, spirited folks. We talk about the sensitive kids, how those kind of intermingle. We're not talking labels, we're not talking judgments, we're talking humans here. We're all sensitive. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's be honest. It feels good to be here. It feels yeah. good to be back. It feels Welcome. good to be back in our old slash new office and place. Mm-hmm. It's been a minute. We've been moving. We've yeah. been struggling. Um, but it feels really good to be here. Yeah. See people popping on. Mm-hmm. What else are we talking about tonight? Well, while you're joining in here, let us know um, how you're doing. What's going on with your sensitive hmm. in parenting your sensitive child? Yeah. Um, we also wanted to talk about a conference that we're going to be part of yeah. called Parenting is Revolutionary. Just one minute of like plug in that maybe. The Parenting yeah. Forward Conference. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool. We got to talk with Cindy Wang Brandt about sensitive kids and how to support them. But there are so many other cool topics and other people speaking during the conference, which starts April 25th. What are some of the other topics? Some of the other topics. Um, preventing childhood abuse. Helping kids develop socio-emotional tools. Things you need to know about the teenage brain. Repairing parenting mistakes. Advocating for trans families. Taming your triggers, reparenting yourself, parenting in the early years, befriending anger and grief, and breaking cycles of traditional parenting. So these are all videos that Cindy does with parenting experts on these awesome topics, these people who we love and admire their wisdom so much. Um, So we're really excited about checking that out. Um, Also, we want to acknowledge our privilege in being able to talk about this stuff, talk about parenting, talking about... um, working to dismantle some of these kind of systems of oppression, right? In our, in our own legacies, moving mm-hmm. forward, um, mm-hmm. thinking about it as our responsibility as cis, straight, able-bodied white women. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to throw that out there too, before we dive into the whole sensitive uh, kid thing. Mm-hmm. We Someone... might have some sensitive kids like rolling in t- into our area tonight too. Oh yeah, you never know. Um, just realized someone says today that my son is a highly sensitive child and has been an eye opener. What got me looking into it was his difficulties with transitions and resistance to change. Ooh, oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Lynn. Yeah. Oh my gosh, sensitivity. And this is what we talk about in our, um, in our conversation with Cindy in the conference that's going to be airing soon is about how um, tricky it is to think about and reframe what the term sensitive means. It means different things to different people. And I oh, think, gosh, oftentimes, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say growing <laughs> up, 
it felt <clears throat> kind of negative. I feel like yeah. we were often called sensitive, like you're being so sensitive, mm-hmm. or why are you so sensitive about oh, X, Y, Z, or child is sensitive. Oh, they're sensitive yeah. about that thing. Like, raise your hand if you can I, relate to I that. I feel like it's a nice way, has mm-hmm. been a nice way of using the term sensitive of saying weak, mm-hmm. less than, mm-hmm. imperfect, over particular, um, you know, uh, lacking resilience, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think that our culture and all of us in, in some ways have learned to perceive sensitivity as something wrong or as some kind right. of limitation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we talk about in our, in our conversation with Cindy is how mm-hmm. we want to flip that belief based on all the research out there now and say, no, sensitivity is not wrong. This is something we talk about in all of our lives and is mm-hmm. in so much of the work we do on Instagram and the podcast and beyond and say, sensitivity is inherently human. It's normal, natural, necessary, and we like to think of it as a superpower, right? So we go in and talk about why we think sensitivity is a superpower and um, And how to support it ultimately Mm -hmm. so that it can be. So it doesn't feel like a limitation. I think like all of us have these ideals for our kids being these resilient humans, feeling fulfilled and successful navigating the world. And I think often that tends to force us maybe or um, motivate us to push them or to say, you can do this or don't be like that or it's fine or it's not a big deal or just blow it off or whatever. And I think that if we can really change our approach, which is what we'll talk about next, we can actually help our kids build the resilience based on that superpower that they have in a huge way. Someone commented, keen to know your thoughts on kids' endless requests for snacks and what to say when you know they've had enough but want to reduce the amount of control I feel placing on them around this issue. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. We can totally get into that. Um, Yeah, we don't know if they've had enough, right? Yeah. That's the question. And if there's snacks that we don't love, then we don't have to have them in our house, right? Because we want our kids to experiment with what is too few snacks, what is too many snacks. Mm -hmm. Can we time the snacks? Can we create access to the snacks in moments when it's not going to be interrupting other growing foods, Mm -hmm. right? Can we focus on those growing foods instead and make growing foods the snacks? It's really tricky. Yeah. But I love that you're sensitive around that control, Mm -hmm. wondering, oh, am I over-controlling that feeling we often have, which is, that's enough. Just stop. I think I see you've had too much, maybe, is what we want to say. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can kind of reframe that to... What are we providing? What types of things are we providing? How much is available? How can generally? we be controlling <laughs> everything but our child, yeah. essentially, right? And and yeah. part of the sensitive kid conversation that we're going to be talking about tonight is about attunement mm-hmm. and food. The topic of food is such a huge topic of attunement. How can we <clears throat> connect our kids instead of saying, you've had too much, that's too much cookies, or that's too much graham crackers, or that's too much whatever, saying, how's your body feeling? How you doing? Do you feel like... You're feeling full. Do you feel like that's like so much sweet and it's really good? Do you feel like that was like just enough? Wondering how you'll feel moving toward dinner. Later like, we can check in again. Let's check in later. Okay. Right. I love this topic of food though when it comes mm-hmm. to sensitive kids because something we mentioned in our talk with Cindy about sen- supporting sensitive kids is how we think, oh, a sensitive kid is like one who maybe is a little afraid or a little slow to warm or maybe Shy. cries a little yeah. bit more than other kids or feels things are unfair a little bit. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting to think of sensitivity and also a lot of our caregiving and daily routines mm-hmm. such as eating. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, sensitivity <laughs> actually has to do with our kids' food preferences and what they put in their mouth and mm-hmm. how that feels. 
we think our kids, we have a whole a, a portion of our talk with Cindy yeah. that says, wait, we think that our kids are just being rude about our food or overly Blech, particular. That's disgusting. Right? Spitting it out, doing that type mm-hmm. of stuff. When really so much of our kids' behaviors are based in a sensitivity, based in an inherent attunement that they're having with their bodies and what feels safe and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to trust in that when we're not thinking, oh, those are just feelings I'm supporting based on their sensitivity. Yeah. Their somatic sensitivity is very intricately connected and um, really uh, shows itself in our daily caregiving. So also sensitivity. Yes, exactly. Our daily caregiving like bathing and hygiene, dressing, not wanting to to brush their hair is maybe because of a sensitivity, not Mm -hmm. wanting to get in the bath. I realized my son's limitation was because he gets cold so easily. He didn't want to get undressed to get in the water and then getting out of the water. He remembered it wasn't like he was just wanting to be a punk. He didn't love to be dirty. He really actually likes to be clean. He just was struggling with that sensitivity to temperature. Yeah. Someone said my kids are very good, very good texture sensitive, major meat aversion because of texture. I want them to have a balanced diet. Sure. Oh yeah. And so much about that is like we mentioned earlier, instead of controlling our child, and telling them that what their body's telling them is wrong, which is kind of the opposite of what we want them to do. We want them to listen to their bodies and decide from the inside and attune mm-hmm. and trust, right? Mm-hmm. What can we do to support them? If we're wanting to encourage uh, a balanced diet and, and create that, what, what does meat have in it? Protein. Okay, what are other types of proteins? Beans and rice. Mm-hmm. tofu, soft turkey, mashed, um, you know, tuna mm-hmm. or salmon, chopped bacon, you know, something. um, meatballs maybe mm-hmm. are different than like a, a strip steak or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? What can we do? And not in a way to like trick them into eating it, but of mm-hmm. saying you have a preference to this meat texture right now. What mm-hmm. else can we find that could maybe be good? You taste test, you know, your body best. Yeah. I love that you're leaning into that, like how we show up that role as parents of sensitive Mm -hmm. kids and maybe who are sensitive ourselves. We're highly sensitive people. Something we've discovered through our parenting, which has been a huge gift. (laughs) Yeah. Like you're like, yang, like, Oh, it's been hard, (laughs) but it also has been a huge gift to say my sensitivities are not weaknesses. My sensitivities are not limitations. My sensitivities shouldn't be a problem necessarily for other people. And I'm proud of my particularities and the things that I need around certain things. Of my perceptiveness, right? Of sure. environments or of people or of words or of mm-hmm. tone or vibe, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. I love you too, Eli. <laughs> but yeah, I think that it's moving from that belief that it's a limitation, that it's wrong, that it's over particular, that it's, um, <clears throat> you know, kind of a pathology or a handicap, we can then say, okay, what's our role in supporting that? If we believe that it's actually natural, normal, necessary, and potentially a superpower, how do we support that in the realms of dressing, bathing, transitions, eating, all of those things? We become that sensitive support staff that, number one, attunes to our kid so that we can keep them attuned to themselves. When I think our role has a Mm -hmm. lot to do with saying, instead of our priority as their parental figure mm-hmm. being immediate compliance for socialization purposes, mm-hmm. right? And obedience, right? Um, let's instead switch that to say, I'm actually going to support their inner attunement rather than the outside world and focus them on that. Let's focus them on their inside world first. Yeah. So let's what does that look that. like for dressing, bathing, food? What it, What is our interaction look like as that sensitive support staff focusing on attunement? What I mean, does that sound it, like? It's, an, it's essentially taking 
using powers beyond control in mm-hmm. all of our interactions or as many as possible. And that's the hard yeah. part. That's our resist approach that we talk about on our website, which you can download for free. Um, but it's essentially saying, can we have a conversation when it comes to our kids needs, which is their sensitivities is saying I'm needing, I'm saying, mm-hmm. no, I'm saying this, I'm saying, not that I'm saying longer. I'm mm-hmm. saying too short. Mm-hmm. All of these things can feel really worrisome to us and triggering to us, but there are kids feeling a very strong, um, certainty and inner oh, wisdom. Yeah. It's like they have the wisdom and we have the way, and that's where our partnership can align in a really interesting way to yeah. say, you know what your body needs. And I get to support you in figuring out how to get that need met. Yeah. Someone brought up bedtime too. It's oh, absolutely sure. one of those. And something we talk about in our strong Well yeah. kids club, mm-hmm. we have four calls a month. And one of those calls is all about our kids' bodies, yeah. food, um, diapering or toileting, dressing, bathing, bedtime, all of those things that have to do with them, their body, their attunement, their ultimate consent in, in our responsibility to interact with those things, hopefully in a, in a respectful way and, and, and in a, a, like a way of trust and respect for, yeah. for their, um, I don't know, their opinion, their needs, their resistance, all of those things, their self-advocacy, sure, right? which in itself is yeah. revolutionary if we are able to support it. When we can, right? That's the idea. Someone said, would a child who acts out aggressively when overwhelmed or overstimulated be considered a sensitivity? And how do we approach that with them in regards to them hitting? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Strong Will Kids Club was awesome, Megan said. Hi, Megan. Megan. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the the dichotomy of sensitive and strong will. And some kids that we know, we ourselves were kids Mm -hmm. who were very sensitive and we just mostly held it all in mm-hmm. and it didn't come out, right? No. And so we had a lot of high anxiety going on. And I think a lot of other kids have that sensitivity where they have more orbs, they've got more sensory experiences, they perceive the world mm-hmm. stronger, louder, bigger, faster, longer. heavier, harder, longer. Mm-hmm. And then they express that experience in a way that is strong-willed, spirited, whatever, pain in the butt, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, right? And so a child who acts out aggressively when overwhelmed or overstimulated, I mean, you already identified it. They're acting out aggressively because they're overwhelmed and overstimulated and they're overwhelmed and overstimulated because they're sensitive yeah. and the demands and the, the, like the reality of the environment was too much for their nervous systems to yeah. take. And right? I think that you said, how do we approach that with them in regards to them hitting? And I think yeah. I would approach that with them in regards to what is overstimulating them as opposed to them hitting. So I think instead of behavior, yeah. Focusing on the need and the the root cause. Yeah, I think yeah. so often our culture tells us focus on that behavior. Oh, lean into you can do this and you can't do this. Hitting is a hard no. Gen, you know, mean words, hard no. And I think that a lot of what we work on here at upbringing and in the gentle and respectful parenting spheres, trying so hard to say look beneath those research says there's a need at play and if we can keep connecting and attuning like we mentioned earlier our kids to that deeper need you were feeling overwhelmed and then you hit them oh I'm so sorry that I didn't realize that we'd been here three hours because I was talking to my friends and enjoying myself and you seem to be doing fine and then all of a sudden you hit somebody and I'm so sorry that happened what do you remember how are you feeling I think so much about it with the hitting is remembering that Nobody likes to hit another person. Nobody goes out and says, I can't wait to hit this person, right? People get overstimulated for those reasons 
like, and then they respond. And so instead of focusing on the symptom mm-hmm. of what happened, let's get to the root cause and say, what can we do next time? Oh, maybe we could leave earlier. Maybe I could mm-hmm. be closer to you to help support that communication with that mm-hmm. child. Maybe we could get some fresh air when we're feeling yeah. a little overwhelmed. And Maybe we could do like in. two pieces of cake instead of five. Yeah. What do you think? I don't do know. So much about this is experimenting with our kid and modeling that that um, unconditional positive regard for them, which they can ultimately offer to themselves. We could say to our partner, oh my gosh, honey, we went out that night and I just, I kind of like lashed out at you when you said that thing to one of my friends and this and that. And I was just... I think I was needing a little more quiet or I think I was needing to like pull the plug and head out like before people started transitioning to the yard or whatever it was. And like, we're all thinking about needs. We're all thinking about in those social situations, in those stressful home moments, dinner, morning, weekend, family time, any of those things. When shit goes sideways, what was I needing? Mm -hmm. What were you needing? Baby, toddler, child, tween, teen, parent. It doesn't matter. It's all the game of needs. And I think our behaviors, our reactions, our explosions, our um, turmoil, all of those things are pointing us to those needs. Mm -hmm. And I think that the best we can do, our biggest goal is to be saying, how can we use those as our guiding light? Instead of pushing those under and saying that felt like shit, or that looked like shit, that was so embarrassing, make a better choice. Instead (laughs) of doing that, we're going to say, What's going on there? We're going to hold it gently. We're going to hold it lovingly when we can. This we're, is where all the skill building We're going to circle back right? and say, I'm sorry that happened for you, to you, from me, with me, of me, whatever it is. Yeah. We're going to try to create positive associations around things that felt terrible so that what our kids and us can pay attention and notice and build awareness mm-hmm. and build skills and build words and communication strategies, right? No mm-hmm. learning can happen when shame is present. Yeah. Cannot, cannot happen. Well, I think right? there's a lot of learning that can happen when someone Not is optimal learning. Shamed or <laughs> ashamed of themselves. Yeah. I think that those are the moments we feel like we belong less, that we worth le- are worth less, that we did something terrible, that, that our we, needs are bad, that our needs are terrible, that our impulses are something we can't control. None of us want to feel out of control in those things. Yeah. So I think even those moments that we shame our kids accidentally or on purpose when we're like, you were terrible or that's terrible or stop doing that or you're wrong or why did you do that or what the fuck? That's okay. We can always circle back. That's the beauty here. Someone said, what do you suggest as reaction to people calling your sensitive child shy in front of them or not in front of them? Still sucks no matter what. Totally. Such a judgment. So tricky. And I think we would just say, oh, you know, again, the flip side of shy, which I don't even think is necessarily a, a we have a thing. we have a recent reel about that. Yeah, a reaction saying, we yeah, do. I think that's like um, what do we say? A biologically normal response to new stimuli and people, and we wouldn't want her to, you know, bypass her own internal compass that says to protect herself at all costs, right? Because I'm thinking about frat parties someday. I want her to like be safe and know what feels good and not be like, Oh, I don't want to be shy to disappoint someone else's expectations. Right. Right. And so we all know that our kids shyness means they're really observant. It means they're really cued into their Mm -hmm. own safety. They're really cued into their environment and the people Mm -hmm. they maybe like to take stock of all those things before they dive in. It's Mm -hmm. all good. Mm -hmm. But when other people say they're shy, you can just say, 
she likes to watch before she dives in. Yeah. Or, oh, yeah. Or, like, intuitive people yeah. are a little slower to warm sometimes. Yeah. Or, yeah, this is feeling a little overwhelming for a lot of us. As in, like, that's me too, bitch. Yeah, totally. We're not pathologizing our kids. No. Or just turn the other way and then process with your child later. Yeah. If you don't you feel comfortable like, saying yeah. anything. And then just be like, later you can say, oh, when grandma called you shy, what do you think she was saying? Maybe it was because you and I were kind of hanging back and we like weren't feeling ready to go in yet. Mm-hmm. Huh. Everyone goes in at their own time. I, I, she must have been like, let's go inside. I'm so excited to go inside. But mm, everyone's ready on their own, right? Mm-hmm. Some people were ready right away. Some people were ready later. You and I were like, eh, we'll wait. I'm, we're I'm like pretty happy out here for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because our comfort is the most important thing, right? Right. Yeah. We don't engage for other people's comfort. No, our own comfort. I'm so glad that you told me that you were feeling a little nervous about going in and weren't ready yet (sighs) because I wasn't feeling that either. So I was really, really happy to hear you say that. And then we got that time sitting outside together before we went in and that felt so nice. Right. So this is some modeling thinking, how can we support our, our quote unquote shy Mm -hmm. child, right? What can we do? We can just normalize and say, Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, you know you. And that Mm -hmm. is amazing right? You are not living to meet other people's expectations, which is what we tend to think we need to teach our sensitive kids. You got to get with the program, girl. Mm-hmm. You got to live up to everyone else's needs and standards, dude. And that is not necessary. And that is not parenting in a revolutionary way, right? Mm-hmm. That is not raising a revolutionary, right? Mm-hmm. We need to be parenting in a different way that says, instead of about everybody else and meeting other people's mm-hmm. needs, we need to meet our child's needs so that they can know their needs. Because only when they really know their needs can they wholeheartedly and with full awareness and compassion notice and meet other people's needs. Yeah, I want to kind of address that question, which is uh, like kind of out there in a lot of the respectful conscious parenting circles, which says, it sounds like you're raising a bunch of privileged white people. And that's absolutely on our brain and on our mind in a huge way. And I think that, that part of why we're doing this isn't to say, you matter the most, oh, you just do you always. It's really to say your voice matters like everyone's matters. Your diverse opinion is valuable like everyone's diverse opinion is valuable. You think that and I think this. You need that, but I need this. And to be literally modeling diversity. Read the books, go to the rallies, wear the shirts, awesome. But all of these moments of challenge that we have with our kids through conflict, transitions, bedtime, bath time, manners, dinner time, hygiene, all of these these moments what feel full of strife and conflict are are ripe with opportunity to be pointing out that every person (coughs) is different, that everyone has different needs, and that as people with more power and privilege than our kids have, our our goal is to try to acknowledge and respect those needs that mm-hmm. are beneath ours, mm-hmm. right? And, and and that's based in the research mm-hmm. that says kids don't learn by explicitly telling them what to do and what not to do. They learn through personal experience, right? Mm-hmm. We don't learn how to flip an egg, do like a, a, a fried egg. Mm-hmm. We don't learn how to do anything by being told. We learn by doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important to think about what am I teaching my child about their sensitivities and about 
nourishing and nurturing and supporting mm -hmm. and, and having compassion about theirs and others. Yeah. We are that model and our relationship is the first relationship they have that's mm -hmm. normalizing that. Yeah. Type in if you have any struggles lately with your sensitive yeah. kids through bedtime, bath time, meal time, transitions, clothing, friends, friends, stuff, shy stuff, anything, anxiety, mm -hmm. anything. I think so. We'd so, love to talk about it. Yeah. So often folks are like, Oh, my kid's not sensitive because they don't have like social problems or whatever, mm -hmm. but they're just like such assholes when it comes to bedtime. And you're mm -hmm. like, that's a, actually a sensitivity issue. Mm -hmm. Homework could be a very oh, sure. high sensitivity issue. Absolutely. Transitions and changes, big and small, mm -hmm. such a sensitivity issue, mm -hmm. right? There's that so sense of pressure for oh, either of they're those. They're so sensitive to what's happening, how fast, how slow, how Gosh. big, how small. School, school is such like a fucking drain on sensitive kids. Mm -hmm. That feeling, that perception of competition, that of perception being, of being judged, graded. of being graded and weighed. Oh, I remember that so acutely as a mm -hmm. kid. And I think that a lot of us, whether we have sensitive babies who cry a lot, sensitive toddlers who run to us and cling, sensitive kids who are shy, sensitive older kids who are breaking down over a project for school or who or, won't talk to us about something that happened, right? Or earlier, who are right? like really like slow to warm to people. All of those things, culturally, we often think that that is kind of a hindrance to resistance. To resilience. Resilience. Yeah. Thank you. To resilience. And I think that, that what I think we're trying to say here is that all of those things are an asset to resilience if we can show up and support them in a certain way. Mm -hmm. If we can say, I hear that, I see that, let's kind of get attuned to that. Let's mm -hmm. explore this feeling, this need, this resistance, this whatever it is that's going on with you because our kids' sensitivities aren't going to go away. And I think that's another impression that we have is I just got to drill it out of them. I just got to fix it. I just got to tell them it's not a big deal. I just got to make them stronger for the world. And I think that so much of, of this movement to connect our with our kids who are sensitive and who have sensitive nervous systems um, and sensitive spirits and who are spongy emotionally is to say that we can be tethering them to, to those things and attuning them to those things to help them become strong with them because they're not going to go away. You know, how can we make our, our help our kids be friends with their, with their needs, with their nervous systems, with their uh, particularities, with their peculiarities, right. as opposed to feeling as adults secretly at war with them. Mm -hmm. I love that. And that is so much about to seeing our kids on their own unique timeline, mm -hmm. not based on our expectations or our other child or other kids, but saying, what are they showing me? I have to honor and trust in and respect what they're showing me, what they're needing. And mm -hmm. someone writes, it's been nine months. My three and a half year old daughter doesn't want to sleep by herself in her bed. I feel like I've tried everything, any advice. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you've tried a lot of those things and your three and a half year old doesn't want to sleep alone in their bed, they're showing you they're not ready to sleep alone yet, that they're needing another body, another presence. They're needing mm -hmm. something, right? Or they're needing that for falling asleep. And then you can work those steps through the middle of the night. Maybe then they come to your room in the middle of the night and you bring them back and you lie with them for a little bit until they can right. fall asleep again. And then you go back to your room and mm -hmm. you meet them where they are, considering their need and considering yours to try to meet in the middle. Mm -hmm. But I think with working with sensitive kids is saying, instead of one and done, either you're sleeping alone mm -hmm. or you're sleeping with me, 
let's build out that, expand that moment and say, what can we be doing in the middle? What can we be figuring mm -hmm. out together? And what skills can we be building based on consent, based on what they're able and willing to do mm -hmm. to, to get us there little by little by little? Cause it doesn't, things don't happen overnight with sensitive kids. It just doesn't typically happen, mm -hmm. right? Other kids, we move them to their bed and maybe they have one tricky night and then they're good to go. And it's like, that's not how it works with sensitive kids. Yeah. Sensitive kids, oh, you think you can just take them to the party and just go talk to your friends the whole time. No, they're with you yeah. the whole time, right? Or they need you. They yeah. need Someone you. said, I'm worried my quiet kid wouldn't stand up for themselves if I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. That's such a common worry. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay. Yeah. I think a lot of our kids will act differently with peers, with friends, with other people than when we're there. And, mm -hmm. and I think that those are the hard moments when we maybe experience that that change from uh, a lap baby, a lap toddler to those older kids who are maybe out on their own more and doing more on their own. And I think the question is, how can we be reinforcing that tether that's there even when we aren't, where, where we can kind of preempt those conversations of, you might see some people. I wonder what they're gonna need. I wonder if you might struggle when you're with them. I wonder what might happen if you do. And kind of, planting seeds of what might go on in that time and then making it an open conversation for them to come back and say, Oh, this person said this, or this happened to me and us kind of leaning in with that trust that it's all good. <clears throat> and we can still be that person, even if we weren't there in the moment to say, Oh, I'm so <clears throat> sorry that happened. Oh, what were you needing? Oh, what was that other person going through? What was happening for them? I think it's so much breaking out of that belief based on so many movies we've seen and stories we've been told that says, the success in social interactions with our kids is when they stand up for themselves against a bully tough. and they're tough or they say something back. And that's not actually success for our kids. Success for our kids is when they feel safe in what happened to them. Mm -hmm. And that's represented maybe in standing up to another person, yeah. but that's maybe the end result. And some of say that's be, maybe months or years yes, in. Yes, maybe. Mm -hmm. Like in some of us in our 30s and 40s are just figuring that out where we can have like that snappy comeback or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But with our kids, we, we don't need to get to that, that finish line. We need to just help them find that middle way and say, what were you feeling? What were they feeling? Just like Kelty had mm -hmm. mentioned there. That's incredibly worthy work that's not maybe like movie ready. It's not yeah. going to be, be in but that movie. But it's also meeting our kids where they are instead of saying, oh, they said that to you. You've got to tell them that's not okay. Or you've got to say, you can't talk to me like that. Or you've got to say, well, you this. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's just fighting fire with fire. And I think that our, our real job isn't in at our kid advocating verbally necessarily to another person. But like you said, Hannah, feeling safe in whatever happened. And the strength is built within, not projected outside of them necessarily. At, at least it starts with them. Yeah. Yeah. At least not at first. Absolutely. And that's why we don't necessarily have the privilege to be with our child through every mm -hmm. trial and tribulation they experience. But if we can uh, be that safe place for them to come, to complain, to whine, to do all these things to that cry. feel really terrible <laughs> at first, we're showing them, come to me. I'm a safe place to express over and over and over and over. So then when they have that trouble at school or with a peer, or with a teacher, or with another mm -hmm. person or partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, <clears throat> we're showing them, come and talk to me about it and I can help you feel safe about it. Mm -hmm. And that's where the real learning that's and the where, real... That's where the self-advocacy voice is built in that safety and from that safety. Right. From the inside out. Yeah. Yeah.
Someone said seven-year-old has very low <clears throat> frustration tolerance with his video games. Screams, name calls, family members when it doesn't go his way. Very stressful for everyone in the house. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's hard. I think Cute. frustration tolerance is something that um, we're all going for, obviously. A lot <laughs> of our kids have what's called frustration yeah. intolerance. It could happen from infancy from toddlerhood to childhood to maybe in teens, people start being like, wow, they get, they're very easily frustrated all of a sudden. A lot of that can be from their, their temperament, their nervous system. And a lot of it can be from current development, or it could be from temporary stressors, hopefully that are just something's going down. They're going through, right. We all go through that ourselves as well. Sure. Yeah. That's like, it reminds me of your husband, like breaking the trash bag sometimes when he's stressed out. Low frustration tolerance for trash can and bag. Sometimes we <laughs> all have that. Okay. We all yeah. have our, our things. And I think, um, I, I mean, I love that your son is showing you that maybe he has uh, the video games to use as a way to express mm-hmm. other stress mm-hmm. or video game related stress. And that he feels safe in his own home to yell and to get angry. You suck and, and think, you suck and you're terrible. And this game is ridiculous. Right. And I think so much about it is saying, instead of trying to control our child, our sensitive child to say, oh, and oh. you have a newborn in the house. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That's, yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah, um, Kayla, that's amazing. Where you might be like, okay, maybe a little quieter on the, um, the video game mm-hmm. um, situation. That's understandable, but... Uh, it's not just his house, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's everybody's house. But instead of controlling him and saying, stop having this experience, right? Like, that's, it's not a big deal. Or you can't play the game if you're going to be like this. Right. Or just play the game, but don't lash out at us about it. This Jeez. is how your child's currently experiencing this game. So you have a lot of options that aren't controlling your child, right? You can not have that game anymore and offer other options, right? Mm-hmm. You could when they're uh, choose times of day what, that they can do the game when maybe they're feeling better and can cope with like, it a little bit better right before dinner <clears throat> right like, or maybe have their nervous system regulated they've gone outside and exercised they've done a bunch of stuff right. once we can go outside and jump on the trampoline for a little bit then totally yes that game is great <clears throat> once we've been outside and gotten some fresh air and moved our bodies a little bit right cool so maybe that could help or finding a time that works for you so that you can be in another room where they're able to basically say, this is just my like express time. And this video game is letting time it all crack. out, right? Mm-hmm. I'll be in the other room nursing baby, or I'll be somewhere else. Or right? everyone will be gone and I'll be there to bear witness and support you. Yeah. yeah. And so bear witnessing and supporting in those situations would probably be saying less mm-hmm. and exuding more and saying, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're frustrated. And helping them feel safe and the unsafe feelings that this video game or whatever it is has mm-hmm. created. And then outside that moment, talking to your child and saying, sometimes this game, you get really frustrated. It's really mm-hmm. tricky. And I think so much about our sensitive kids is noticing what works for their little bubble in their bodies today. Mm-hmm. And do we want to put too many pressures on them? Or do we want to find just the right amount where they can experience a little bit of frustration, but not feel totally mm-hmm. like just flattened by it right we want to for example we want to give our, our toddlers toys that aren't just completely impossible mm-hmm. right we want to give them ones that are just hard enough they have to work a little bit and then they mm-hmm. keep going and same with a video game so i'm wondering if this video game is beyond your son's capacity and it just feels like impossible mm-hmm. or if maybe it's totally relatable and it's fine uh developmentally for them and they're just using it as an outlet to express themselves yeah. so many questions here 
Then I yeah. always want to bring up like bringing up the elephant in the room of the new baby yeah. where an older kid like that might not be like this baby sucks. Like they might not and say that mom. Right. Right. And, but yeah. they might be feeling it and it might come out in those kind of sideways ways. And so I think that guests have conversations <clears throat> with them around like, how's this game going for you? Or I've noticed one. you've been frustrated or what can I do in those moments where you're like, I'm going to break the controller. Like, yeah. can I help you? do something um you want to try some new ones to change the time of day what would help you feel better but also to say this baby's been hard things are different right now and i'm so sorry about that how are you feeling about it and and not to be like because i think that's why you're raging during game mm. time <laughs> but to just say i just want you to know i love you and i'm feeling the change too and if you ever want to talk about it mm-hmm. i'm here or mom's here or dad's here or your a therapist is here or whatever, <clears throat> right? And to kind of call that out. Mm-hmm. Hope that helps a little bit. Talking sensitive kids, everybody. Those of you who are joining us, welcome. Someone mentioned my kids started copying some dance moves from kids at school that I feel aren't age appropriate, but I don't want to discourage bodily autonomy. Mm. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. you know, create shame in just natural um, experimentation, right? Mm -hmm. Or mimicry that's based on socialization and other like really healthy goals that kids have. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I was noticing yesterday, actually. And our kids free school, they've been doing the Just Dance app thing where it's like big screen, song goes on, three kind of animated looking or four animated looking characters start doing the dance moves that you're supposed to like follow along with. And my daughter played me like four of the songs on the way to school yesterday And my immediate reaction was totally inappropriate. Like, and she was reading the lyrics to me too. One of them, (laughs) one of them was in Spanish and she was reading the lyrics to me in English. And I was like, I think it sounds better in Spanish. Cause it was like, I want to get close to you and we'll spend the night together and all this stuff. And my daughter's like reading this to me. She's seven in the car. And I was just like, wow and like you know and all the dance the dance moves are very suggestive a lot of them um but I think it was just hard because my my adult my adult my adult perspective said too old not good enough not you know not meeting her childness in a good way like in a lot of ways that I feel maybe our mom kind of and maybe because we heard these things from her that's too grown up for you that's too sexy for you. Yeah. That's too adult for you. Um, and I, th- I think I felt those as negative judgments of those things. Not just that I wasn't quite there, but that those were bad or those were, and it's not like we grew up in some sort of like re- religious house or something, but I think we all have that feeling of what's age appropriate for dress, for dance, for songs, and, for posters, for interests. I think we really easily forget that our kids engage in a way with everything that is age appropriate to them. them. I know. And even like we they... are often the ones that is putting a lens on it. Yeah. Like if I'd said, whoa, those lyrics are really sexy and Uber is like, wow, or whatever. Oh my gosh. That's so inappropriate. Yeah. All of a sudden they then see, wow, that's sexualized. Wow. What is sexualized? Wow. What is, I don't know. I think we're, we're kind of leading the witness sometimes on some of these things mm-hmm. is my point. Yeah. But I get that, that, that feeling that and that feeling. conflict and that feeling of helplessness to be like, mm-hmm. I can't protect my child from these like outer influences yes. sometimes. Yeah. 
and and like wild dance moves. Um, but I just I yeah. think a dirty dancing, and it's just like you know. <laughs> well, well, a big part of it was I came home and said, "Let's do these songs." And I think that like there's no way that my daughter can think of these songs as sexual after seeing me dance to them. <laughs> like there's absolutely no way. <clears throat> so I effectively removed that possibility. And there there's that of of she's watching her friends dance it. She's not watching J-Lo dance it or somebody else do it, which could maybe be a little bit different. Yeah. But I think just I want to validate that feeling like you said, Kelty, of just feeling like we're out of control in in our kids going places and hearing things yeah. and doing things and learning things and then bringing that home. It's, and I think the best thing yeah. we can do is just say, how was that for you? What are you imagining? What's going mm-hmm. on for you? What do you like about this? And instead of putting a judgment immediately on it, like that's too old, that's mm-hmm. too sexual, that's too whatever. Let's tune into what our kids are doing and why they're doing it and saying, what do you like about it? Mm-hmm. It could literally just be because my friends are doing it mm-hmm. and they're wanting to just have a sense of belonging with their friends, which is very mm-hmm. valuable. Or it could be, I like the, the feeling of dancing and this is what my mm-hmm. friends are dancing. That's it's valuable. My daughter also. said this one phrase of the song is so funny to me and it was like the most innocuous phrase. It wasn't like, cause we're getting down. Like, any, like, <laughs> like that. I was worried it was going to be that one. And it was like, Cause dancing's fun or I can't remember what the phrase was, but it was like, it was so just like, of course you love that phrase. Of course. Cause you're seven. And the rest is literally over the head. Totally over the head. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being here. This has been really fun to talk about our sensitive kids. If any of you have any other sensitive related challenges or questions that you want to talk to us about, we would love to hear about them. Mm -hmm. Otherwise we would love to send you to our link in bio or our show notes if you're listening on the podcast Mm -hmm. to learn more about the Parenting Forward Conference that talks about how we can be parenting in a revolutionary way. Mm -hmm. It has, what is it, 10 or 12 Mm -hmm. conversations that Cindy Wang Brandt of Parenting Forward has with us, with Latinx Parenting, with Mr. Chaz, Mm -hmm. with Rosalia Rivera of Consent Parenting. Shelly Robinson. Shelly Robinson, Mm -hmm. Vivek Patel. Uh, So many really, really cool folks talking in so many different areas. We ourselves speak about how to support sensitive kids um, Mm -hmm. with our hour conversation with Cindy, but you'll be able to get access to all the other conversations um, over that week. It starts on April 25th. So check it out. Mm -hmm. Um, We feel so grateful to have been a part of it. We love everything that Cindy does with Parenting Forward. Um, And we're we're all in this together and it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just like thinking back to our conversation with her and how it just made me think about how like everyone is sensitive. And I think be- being on this parenting journey has hopefully tuned you into the ways that you're sensitive the same way that it has for us. Mm-hmm. Like what are the things that you're sensitive to now that you had no idea you were before? How are the ways, like what are the ways that you're advocating for your sensitivities now as a parent being like, that's too loud, too much on me, Ugh, get off. Like or too many activities struggling with this or like too much uh, scheduling. Mm -hmm. What are like, uh, I think uh, us being thrown into parenting invites us to look at the ways that we're sensitive as, as adults, whether we can identify as like an HSP or not. Mm -hmm. It's it's asking us all to look at our sensitivities and asking us to look at everyone in our life as a sensitive person with their own proclivities, with their own um, penchants, with their own, um, particularities. particularities, all and of those things. to see those not as limitations, vulnerabilities, weirdologies, yeah. but as superpowers, as inherently human traits 
based on the nervous systems that we were given and that we have thus cultivated, mm -hmm. right? And to say, <clears throat> what can we do to support that and ally with our own nervous systems and with our kids' nervous systems mm -hmm. so that we could all be more in touch with, as you mentioned earlier, our needs. It's all about needs as a person, in relationship, and yeah. in community. It's all connected. Yeah. I think so much of this goes back to our first moments of parenting too, which is something we brought up recently for yeah. right from the start course, but just thinking Hannah's two kids didn't come out with their sensitivities right away. Or we, it was harder to feel, harder to sense, harder to kind of suss out. They're more flexible. They're yeah. more easygoing as yeah. opposed to my kids, which were like, need this, hate this, refuse this, sensitive about this. Um, and I think that a lot of us can relate to either one of those. And a lot of us can relate to that ourselves too, yeah. especially in stressful moments. Yeah. That's the beauty though, of engaging in this way. Like you mentioned, Kelty mm -hmm. as HSPs, we're able to, as we're honoring and nurturing and allying with our kids needs and nervous systems and sensitivities mm -hmm. on a daily basis through all these caregiving activities, eating, hygiene, dressing, um, bathing at bedtime, bedtime, friendship, mm -hmm. sibling stuff, all of these areas, we're able to start reparenting ourselves and healing ourselves and realizing mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with our sensitivities. There's nothing wrong with our perceptiveness. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with feeling and thinking and holding mm -hmm. right our environments and our relationships in a deeper way than maybe other people that mm -hmm. actually that that can really be an incredible thing yeah so much of what we've done in upbringing is based on Kelty and my sensitivity right being able mm -hmm. to connect with other parents being able to notice things about our kids and really piece together the research with our own personal experience and have these like kind of explosions of mm -hmm. recognition and magic yeah. that have been really cool to connect with you all about. Yeah. And I think the, the name of the game too is sensitive people or kids or anyone is boundaries. Yeah. And I think our sensitive kids are the ones that, that put up boundaries sooner and quicker saying too much, not enough, not like this, this feels wrong. No. And we see those as bad behaviors culturally, yeah. but right. Right. They're not. They're all about our kids' needs. They're all about our kids' diversity of needs. It's all good. It's beautiful self-advocacy. Yeah. And it's such a good reminder, like you said, Han, to be working on our own boundaries with those needs. Yeah. That juggle is the struggle, right? Is saying you're needing this and I'm needing this. What can we do? What can we so do? Keep coming back to talk about what we can do. How can we work the resist <laughs> approach? Or, you know, and consider our freedoms model, what our kids deserve that their resistance is beautiful, that their needs matter, right? That we can be flipping that hierarchy, that we can be creating a home that feels democratic, that we can be considering our power and privilege in the relationship with our kids, right. that we can be con consistently, when we're able, attuning them to their body and what they're needing, regardless of what they're doing, looking beneath those behaviors to what's going on underneath. Because right. everything our kids do is to feel safe in their bodies. Right. right. And then that impact, which we talked about. Sorry, everyone. Learning to trust in their inner wisdom and their inner signals, right? Mm -hmm. And when they can do that, when our kids learn to become allies with their nervous systems and figure out, why do I need this? What do I need? Mm -hmm. And how do I get that need met with the support we give them? They're able to not just succeed personally and interpersonally in the world, mm -hmm. but they're also able to afford that same respect and trust in other people, instead of being like, why are they doing that? What's what up with that? What is their problem, Ugh. that person? Right? They're going to know from a personal perspective, oh, they're needing something. 
what are they needing? What's going on for them? My parents gave me empathy with my diverse needs. I'm going to afford those to this other person that I don't understand and know that that's it. It's a matter of not understanding what they're needing. Right. And this is why parenting can be revolutionary. Mm -hmm. That's why this can be so amazing. What we call parenting for sanity and social change, that Mm -hmm. the work we do with our sensitive kids doesn't just get shit done in the moment. When we work to understand what our kids' needs are and find out ways that we couldn't even conceive of to meet those needs, we're, we're doing the, the, the responsibility we have as parents, mm-hmm. but we're also raising a different human who can go out into the world and live a different way, personally, interpersonally, and communally. Yeah, right? I think that's something that people bring up. We're wrapping this yeah. up, but like, ugh, leaning into my sensitive kids' needs, so permissive. Yeah. Oh, you need this? Oh, you want to cut this way? Oh, you, the bath water's too hot. Oh, you need the sock with this and turn the toe this way and this sock with another one. I'll cut a hole in this thing. That's just going overboard. That's, that's being so permissive. And I think that it's hard for us to remember this is productive. Mm -hmm. This is investment time. This is the hard work that's going to pay off. Mm -hmm. This isn't being a servant catering to our child in a way that feels terrible and that makes us feel, yes, often disgruntled. Mm-hmm. It's literally keeping our child tethered to their needs. If we can continue to verbalize what those things are as we do them, check in, be curious, be connective, relate to the ways that we have needs that way or mm-hmm. we don't have needs that way, mm-hmm. right? It's all productive work is what I wanted to kind of wrap it up with. Yeah, it all starts from yeah. within though. Our kids can't give what they didn't get. Yeah. None of us can get what we didn't get. And that's why we're all growing up together, right? One conversation at a time, one live at a time, one challenge mm-hmm. at a time, one day at a time. We're all in this together. You should feel really proud of all the work you're doing. We're so grateful to have you here doing this work with us. Mm-hmm. Um, let us know. Um, send us a DM or an email with anything you have questions about. We hope you'll check out the Parenting Forward Conference. Um, link in our bio, right? And in our mm-hmm. show notes here. Yeah, we're thinking of you all. We're so grateful to know you and to have you here and to be learning from you and learning with you. Yeah, if you're here, you're doing the work. So thanks for being with us and practicing with us. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye, everybody. See you soon.